walking through Esther and through, um, we'll get to Ruth, we'll get to Philemon. We've been walking through these books because pretty much of what we're, we're just singing. Um, and it's something that I, I feel it in me. I'm assuming it's probably prevalent within you that w- the more you come into contact with the Holy God, th- there's just something in your heart that's stirred to do something, right? That we can't, we can't always put a name to see exactly, you know, okay, oh, I feel like I should be doing this, or I feel like I should be going here, or I should be doing these things. But there's, there's something within us that when it is stirred, when we come into the presence of the Lord and something, you know, his spirit is stirring within it, we are moved, right? Something within us is saying, okay, I, I got somewhere. I got to go somewhere. I got to do something. I, I have to, to move, essentially. I think there's one of the songs that the band has done before talking about we need to move, right? How do you get to the point where you are ready to move that flows from a heart that is solidly in worship? And so as we've been talking about what it looks like to stand up for others in Esther, we're going to see today, church, kind of what are we actually leading people to do when we're stepping up for them. And we, we, we talked, I think it was in, in chapter 1, how it's more than just fixing problems, right? It's more than just putting out fires. It's, it's more than just getting people out of hard places. Although, praise you, Lord, you do all those things, and you do ask us to join you in that work. But what we're ultimately after, church, we're going to see here in Esther chapter 3. Okay? I'm not going to spoil it for you, although I've already mentioned it. So if you've, I say a lot of words. But if you've tracked at any point, you know where I'm going to go with this today. But let's go to Esther chapter 3, and let's start in verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne over all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down, and they paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And they spoke to him day after day, and he, he would not listen to them. And they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, he was filled with fury. But he disdained, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, they cast lots, before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, now there is a, there's a certain people, king, there's a certain people who are scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Now their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, and he gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. 
Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month. And an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Hazarus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. And the couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. But the king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. God, we are, uh, we are about to meet a pretty evil, wicked dude in Haman. Lord, we know that as he enters the scene, Mordecai is going to do some things that we have not seen him do before. And Lord, I mean, just as we know your, your people are intentional, your word is intentional, there is, there is something going on with Mordecai. Father, we've been talking about worship, we've been talking about service, we've been talking about trying to find this intersection. Lord, show us your example because Mordecai is a fantastic one. Father, may that, that stirring that we feel in our hearts when we come here to worship you and we say, man, Lord, it feels like you're trying to do something. Lord, may, may you make it abundantly crystal clear for us today. Because we know, we know, Lord, we've been saying this for two years. We know that when our heart is with you and when we have committed to be your people, when we have committed to say, okay, Lord, we will sit at your feet and learn what it means to have your heart. God, oh, we know, we know you stir us. To move. We know you are a God who works. We know you are a God who is at work in our state, in our nation, in our world, in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of our community, in our, our classmates. Father, we know. We know you are there. We know you're at work. Father, our hearts are in a good place. Please may we join you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, so, where are we getting all of this worship from, okay? Let's go back through chapter 3 and let me kind of highlight where we see this. So the first thing we're taught, the first thing we see about Haman when he enters the scene, this, this wonderful, wonderful looking dude, you get to the point and we're told that the king gives a command that somehow Haman has convinced him that even though Haman is only second in the land and King Ahasuerus sits above him, somehow Haman is the one that gets to be worshipped. So there's this edict that's put into place, and the people are told they have to bow down and pay homage, which are two words that are usually used in the Old Testament describing worship. Okay, So it's, it is abundantly clear where we're starting from. Haman wants everyone to worship him. Now, obviously we know Mordecai is going to have a problem with this. But the names of these people is kind of interesting. And it, it clues us in that this story is really about worship. Haman, his name means magnificent, right? If it didn't have <laughs> such an ugly context, Haman wouldn't be that terrible of a name, right? To give to someone, hey, you're my child. I'm going to call you Haman. I call you magnificent every time I speak to you. 
I'd say it's a good name to bring back, except it's got some pretty bad baggage to it. So, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have to bring back Haman. But Haman means magnificent, so he is all about worshiping himself. Mordecai, church, Mordecai's name is really cool. His name is Little Worshipper. And I, I think not only is that just a cool picture that he is someone who worships, the fact that he's little, it's not necessarily in terms of stature, right, that he's a little guy. It just, it's, it's actually really relatable for us. Mordecai is the one who says, you know what, even though I am in a people that are not my people, even though I have been taken to a land that is not my land, even though I have so many things going on outside of my control, I might be little, but I still know where I'm going to worship. I still know who to worship. That's Mordecai's name. And I kept thinking, I, I mean, the, the second that I was, I was reading that this week, church, I started thinking, yeah, yeah, we know that pretty well, don't we? That, that no matter where you're at or the things that you've walked through or the things that you're currently facing, man, we are still able to give worship to our God. So the, we're told even in the names, this is a story about worship. And it's in this context of worship. Mordecai does two things different, okay? And I haven't really pointed this out in the first two chapters, but this is the first time we see in verse 2, Mordecai doesn't go along with everybody else, Right? He let, he let Esther be taken as part of the, the, you know, the, the charade thing that, that King Ahasuerus was up to. He went along with the exile. He went along with being separated. He went along with everything. But now that we've gotten to the point of worship, this is the first time Mordecai doesn't go along with it. And secondly, this is also the first time verse 4 tells us, church, that Mordecai has now revealed he's a Jew. Now, there is something big that's taking place here, okay? I know when we hear the word Jew, we, we think culturally, right, like the Jewish, the Jewish faith. When, he, when it's being used here in the Old Testament, Jew simply is Yehudite, which means a descendant of Judah, which is the one that the covenant prominence came through. So really, when we're talking about Jew in this context, we're, we're just talking about someone who's a child of God, okay? Someone on whom the covenant of God rests. So this, this is now Mordecai has finally identified, hey, I am one of God's people, but he has not done it, church, until what? Until worship gets involved. Mordecai knows, right? If I start, if I start identifying myself as one of God's people at the wrong time, somebody's going to start thinking, oh, well, what it means to be God's person is to look like this. Mordecai hasn't said a word until his worship has been what's under attack. And I want you to also pay attention, church. It's not just his ability to worship that he's standing up for. It's not his preferences as to how he wants to worship that he's standing up for. It is when the object of his worship has come into question. In fact, they really haven't said you can't worship God. There's just an edict that says there is now something that you get to worship or you have to worship in addition to God. That Haman, he's supposed to give the same reverence or to give the same worth to Haman as he is to God. And that's the point that Mordecai says, you know what? This is what this is who I am, right? Because I am a child of God, because I am part of this covenant promise, this, this people that God had set aside for himself, because of that, guys, look, this is the point that I can no longer walk with you on. 
In fact, this is interesting because it's the king's guards, the, the men at the king's gate. These are the ones who start to ask him. They say, verse 3, why do you transgress the king's command? They're saying, why don't you worship Haman? And now Mordecai says, because. Because that's what makes me part of the kingdom. That's what makes me a child of God. That's what makes me one of God's people. It's not about what or the, the, the practices or my abilities or all these other things. What makes me part of God's kingdom is that I worship him. And why Haman misses this, why Mordecai makes the stand church is the, the second half of the main point. Why does God call us as interceders? To lead others to worship because our worship shapes who we are, right? The core of who we are, whatever that is, church, that is resulting from whatever you and I choose to worship. Because now, I mean, you think about Mordecai at this point, right? What have we seen in Mordecai the first two chapters? He's been a guy who has adopted his, I think essentially his cousin, his niece, his, I'd have to go back and look. He adopts one of his relatives because otherwise she is a, a, a lone female in exile, right? Terrible. So Mordecai says, well, even in that, I could still stand up with the heart of God. I could still go along with this. They're carted away to exile, and Mordecai, you know what? He goes with them. He goes with them. The, the king puts forth this, this beauty contest to figure out who the next queen is going to be. Mordecai goes with them. Mordecai has walked along this entire time because he's still able to live out the heart of God. And it's at this point, he can't. And Haman, Haman is going to show us the other side. right? Because the entire time that Mordecai has been living out the heart of God, he's, he's been worshiping. right? He's been able to stand up. He's looked like God. He's been standing up for people. He's been faithful. Haman is the opposite. right? If you look at verse 5 through 7, what happens... When Haman doesn't get the worship that he thinks he, he deserves, right? Verse 5 tells us he's filled with fury. Obviously, he's mad. But then he takes it a step further. Verse 6, he says that he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. He says, it's not enough for me to just be mad that Mordecai won't worship me. I'm not going to go find all the other people who worship the same God that Mordecai does. Look, we're not told that anybody else is disobeying the edict. But Haman now says, I don't care, Mordecai. I have now coming after you. I'm coming after your people. It says in verse 7 that he wants to destroy all the Jews. Pardon me, verse 6. Destroy all the Jews. Verse 7, they go through this this process of casting lots to determine when is the day that we're going to get together and we're going to band and go after all these people. So Haman knows this is a worship issue, right? Somebody's not giving me the worship I think I want. All right, I'm going after him. I'm going after him. But notice, church, how he presents this to the king. He doesn't go to the king and say, oh, King Ahasuerus, they're not worshiping me like you told them to. No, that, that's not how he goes to the king. He goes to the king in verse 8 and says, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. He says, there, there is a distinction that you got to make, king. Look, those people are not like us. King, there are, there are some people that are scattered amongst us. That they are not like us in the slightest, right? When Haman's heart is worshiping him, He's now pointing and saying, oh, those people, they're not like us. 
They're not like us. And what does he say next? Their laws are different from those of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws. Right? So he says, not only are they different. King, they, they don't do what we do. King, king, don't you see? Not only are they a, a, of a different people, like they come from different places. But, but what they do and what they don't do. King, that's, that's a little bizarre. Right? That, that's different. And he concludes at the end of verse 8. That it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. Right? That word tolerate really means to level or to equalize. He says, basically, Persia gains nothing from treating the Jews, treating the people of God as equal to them. At this point, church, we've got two different pictures, right? You've got Haman. Haman, a guy who has been worshiping, who has been faithful to his God the entire time, no matter what the circumstances go through. And along the way, he has stepped up. For people, he has intervened for people. He even kept King Ahasuerus alive when others wanted to kill him. We saw that last week. And then on the other side, though, you've got Haman. Haman says, well, I'm not worshiping God, obviously. So what does Haman do? Haman is now, instead of looking for people to raise up, he's looking for people to kill. Haman says, instead of, you know, reflecting the image of a, of a God, I'm reflecting the image of me. So rather than valuing respecting, obeying what we've talked about the past two weeks, those around me because they bear the image of God, I'm going to point out, King, why we shouldn't. What about them is different? What about them does something different for me so I don't have to be with them? Ultimately, guys, we have seen Mordecai as one who has stood for life, while Haman, verse 13, the instructions go out to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. That is why worship matters. We have two different worshipers going on side by side in this story, and very, very clearly what they worship shapes what they do. And church, I, I, it is, this is huge for us, okay? Uh, let me tell you, why do we care about all this hard work stuff, all this worship peace? Why do we care if it gets us to the point of what we're doing? Because Mordecai knows. I mentioned it earlier, but I, I want us to kind of press into this for a second. Mordecai knows if he starts talking or complaining, or he reveals, I'll say he reveals too soon that he's a Jew, Right? Whatever he's complaining about, people are going to associate that with being part of the people of God. So let me give you an example. If, if Haman or you know, whatever Persian ruler comes to Mordecai's house, right, and they come to take him away, they say, hey, you're living here in Judah. We're now taking you away. We're bringing you into the land of the Persians. And Mordecai at that moment says, wait, you can't take me from here. I'm a Jew. Right? What, what does that do in someone's mind? Oh, well, to be a Jew means you must live in this, this space, right? You have this, I mean, it might be you have this house, but it means you're part of this land. They'll tie that identity to being the people of God with a physical location, right? Or let's say, let's say Mordecai doesn't bring it up there, but he's going along the way, and he's not being treated very good, okay? I'm assuming if you're carting people off into exile, you're probably not treating them very nice. So let's say at one point Mordecai just snaps. He's had too much of it. He says, you can't treat me like this. I'm one of God's people. Well, now they're going, oh, well, you know, we, we, we didn't treat him very nicely. So I guess, you know, being God's people means we treat 
people nicely. You know, like they, there's all these different things that they could associate what it means to be the people of God with, depending on whenever Mordecai brings this up. One that might be a little bit more relatable for y'all. How many of you have ever been asked what a hokey is? Okay. My, my absolute favorite time I ever got asked that was by my brother-in-law. I love the guy. I don't know if he's listening to this, but just so you know, Lucas, I'm very thankful you're my brother-in-law. But he asked me, Jordan, what's a hockey? And I was like, there's not even a C in the word. How did you get to hockey, Lucas? Anyways, how I answer that question is going to be this guy's first introduction to what a hokey is, right? Now, there are a lot of technically correct answers that because of a hokey you, you could give, right? I could say, well, it's, it's one who roots for Virginia Tech or it's one who went to Virginia Tech. I could say it's one who loves maroon and orange. I could say it's one who respects Frank Beamer. I could say it's one who hates the Wahoos up in Charlottesville. There's, there's a lot of things I could give that are technically correct about what a hokey is. But, but let's say I throw out there, oh, well, it's one who hates uh, UVA, right? And let's say the person I'm talking to is like, well, I, my mom went to UVA, right? Does that mean I have to hate my mom in order to be a hokey? Well, no, but that is what I have just alluded to, is it not? Well, what happens if I tell them, well, it's, it's somebody who respects Frank Beamer, and they go, Frank Beamer? Maybe they've lived under a rock for the past 30 years. They don't know who Frank Beamer is. But they go, really? I don't, I don't know who that guy is. What does that mean? To, the, you've heard Paul talk about putting stumbling blocks in front of people. If they don't know that these, you know, these are technically right, you could even say that because of the conviction of being a hokey, we do these things. But it's not the same as why we are convicted that way in the first place, is it? Plus, there is one right answer. A hokey is a fighting gobbler. That's what my parents taught me. Really pissed off turkey. That's, that, is, that, that, that was what they told me a hokey was. And then I, I found out that was pretty much true that they used to be the fighting gobblers. And um, we've got flags with that moniker on it. I, I, love, I love thinking, yeah, I'm part of the fighting gobblers. The church, wh why I give you that is because it. there are a lot of technically true pieces that would turn people away because there's a difference, right, between the conviction you have and the worship piece that you have. And when I watch Christians in our world, guys, there are a lot, there are a lot of things we attach the Christian label to, don't we? A lot. And again, some of them are technically true, right? Because of the convictions we have about the word of God and about who God is, we are probably going to tend to read certain things and not others, or watch certain things and not others, engage in certain activities and not others, stand up for certain issues, right? We know these things are, are, are true. And, and sharing your convictions with others, please hear me on this. I'm not saying don't have convictions or don't share your convictions. But Mordecai out of all these convictions, right, clearly the guy has convictions. He has adopted someone in the case of exile. He's walked through exile. He's been living, like, letting his, his adopted daughter go be with this king and be brought into the palace. He's got his convictions. He's been working the entire time. But he has not identified who he was, church, until the object of his worship comes into play. That is the point where Mordecai draws the line and says this is what it means.
to be the people of God. And so I'm going to let that drive what I do but I'm going to make sure that I don't just let anybody think, oh, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm big on adoption or I'm big on, you know, trusting God with someone's life or I'm big on just, you know, following his plan even if it's hardship. It, those things are true. Those things can come out of our convictions, but they're not in the same place as worship. And Mordecai is not the only one who gives us this picture, church. There's another story you're probably familiar with. Many of you have heard of Daniel. Right, This guy who has huh, a wild story. He goes into exile multiple times. And each time he stands up, he, he's taken under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He's taken under Darius in Persia. Right, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, if you've ever watched the VeggieTales, Rack Shack and Benny, he's Daniel, these, this is his crew. They're told to bow to a big idol, right? The whole time they've, they've been working as best they can with the kingdom. But until Nebuchadnezzar puts up the big 90-foot chocolate bunny, if, if you subscribe to that, that very telling of the story, until the big idol shows up, right? That is the moment where they say, we can't walk with you any further, king. Right, like I have been patient, I have, I have figured out how to work with you on all these smaller things, but now that the object of my worship has come into question, I can't walk with you anymore. And he does the same thing to Darius, right? Darius is the king of Persia who throws him into a lion's den. Same exact thing. Daniel says, king, I respect you, I have served you faithfully, but I cannot worship you. Because what does it mean to be part of the people of God? I worship God. And church, there's another thread though. That runs throughout those stories. That when Daniel makes his worship what he is attempting to lead others in, they see God. You would think at some point Daniel would say, hey, my conviction does not line up with that. Boom, I'm drawing the line. Now you know who my God is. That doesn't happen. The moment that all of the pagan nations around him see who God is, is when the focus is on worship. It's what leads King Nebuchadnezzar to finally go, huh, there might be something to that God that isn't in any of the other gods. It's the moment that leads King Darius to run to the lion's den going, I can't believe I threw my favorite guy in a lion's den. Daniel, did your God save you? I know you said it, but please, oh God, please. I don't even know you, but please have saved Daniel. Each time, they're led to praise God because it is our worship church that changes who we are. To give you one more, obviously the clearest example of this would be Jesus. And I love one of the, the famous lines Jesus gives. Well, it's famous because we know Pilate's response. If you've heard Pilate go the whole, what is truth? question. In John 18, when Pilate is questioning Jesus, he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, well, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. You're going, oh, okay, I'm ready to hear Jesus, because this sounds pretty clear, whatever you're about to say. Jesus says, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Pilate responds, what is truth? Church, We have to be careful how we answer that for a world that does not know God. There are a lot of things that you and I, because of the truth of the gospel, we have 
there are a lot of convictions we act out under. And one of my fears is that how many people either leave the faith or leave the church or are just completely turned off to it because when somebody comes to us and says, what is true? When somebody comes to us and says, well, I, I'm just not sure, like, wh what are you talking about? We don't give them a truth. We give them one of our convictions. Convictions are important. It's not the same as worship. What do the gospel accounts tell us is this truth that Jesus has come, right? What do they all say? He is the son of God. He reveals God to us, not just in the right word, the right action, the right thought, the right belief, although those are all true, but, but in the right heart, the right attitude, the right perspective, right? We see people, how God sees them, the right spirit, that Jesus reveals how broken you and I are because of sin, that Jesus reveals how all the scriptures pointed to God saying, I know you have been broken for me by sin, but I am making a way for you to come home with me again. And Jesus shows up and says, that's me. I have come to seek and to save the lost. You come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Church, this, this is what Jesus has revealed for us. This is the truth. Like, right? Is this not where our convictions come from? Then why is that not the piece that gets broadcast to the rest of the world? Church, if we are going to learn to step up, to be ones who intercede for others, the piece we have to add to our puzzle this morning, we lead others to worship God, not just to convince them that our convictions are better, not to just convince them that our way of life is better, but that we worship God. Why? Because it is our worship that shapes who we are. So to conclude this morning, I want to give you guys two questions. One of them you've already answered on your piece of paper, hopefully. Um, so that's a little bit of a freebie. But the first one, some of you might be hearing this, and you might, we might just need to take a second and think, okay, what do I include in my Christian witness? Right? Like, what are the things that I attach Christ's name to? When somebody says, why do you do blank? Or how come you do this? You know, what are the things that I spawned? Oh, because I'm a Christian, right? What are the things, if we were to ask ourselves, how often am I using Jesus' name? What would people see as Jesus? Okay? And that's not meant to just be purely a <laughs> in a negative sense. I, I want to encourage you this morning. Mordecai knows when to bring up the fact that he's a child of God. And he does so. Church, there, there's a phrase in this that I, I missed this whole week. And as I was reading the scripture again this morning, it, it finally popped out. But as Mordecai has now finally revealed that he's a Jew, verse 4, the king's gates, or the, the king's servants at the king's gate, right? They go tell Haman that Mordecai is not worshiping them. But why they tell Haman? In order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. In essence, they're saying, oh, is that really as serious as he says it is? Right? If it's really an issue of worship, does he really worship that? How serious is he about this? So church, when we talk about Jesus, when we attach his name to things, 
what are we doing that to? What are we standing up for? Because we can do so in a way, as Mordecai says, there's people watching to go, oh, what is different about that God? There's something there. The second question I wanted us to wrestle with, and that's basically where we started this morning in Psalm 37. How is our worship shaping who we are? Right? We started Psalm 37. David says, man, when I am worried, I do not work with God. But when I am trusting and when I am worshiping him, man, I'm right there with him. That's where David starts us. And I want to just encourage you. I know that when we talk about serving and living out the image of God and, and doing things to glorify him, right, especially when it's in context of a world around us that is not necessarily, you know, as, as friendly towards faith as it used to be, it can be intimidating for us to think about how do we do this in context of outside the church. You know where's a great place to start exercising your faith muscle? Right here. Right, if it overwhelms you to think about, man, I don't know how I would share my faith with somebody who's lost. I don't know what it looks like to step up and try to take care of somebody who's lost. Church, we can practice right here, can we not? And that's why I wanted us to start this morning thinking about how can I just start by serving God with other people who are also wanting to do the exact same thing. Is this not the place, church, where we get to practice this together? I mean, I'm looking out and I know there are so many of you who, yeah, you have learned and you have stretched, you have flexed, you have exercised that muscle working with the people around us who do not know God. You've done that right here. And you continue to do that right here. And I pray that that would continue to grow, right? If you want to think of the church as a spiritual gym this morning, you can do that. Go for it. But I know that if there are some of you who are thinking, man, I'm not sure how I can go lift that 50-pound weight over there. Well, how many of you, if you start to lift weights, you start with the 50-pounder? I want to encourage you this morning, if, if you're really feeling stirred to say, God, I feel like I should be doing something, but I'm not sure what it is, may we start just simply with the question, okay, Lord, man, maybe the best place, the easiest place for me to start serving you and practicing my faith with you is here, is in the church, is with other people who also want the same thing. And that's also I wanted to encourage you, this is not me asking, hey, what ministry of the church do you want to serve in? Some of you are like, I don't, I don't know, I don't really want to work with kids, I don't really have musical talent, I don't really know what else we do, right? There's nothing to say, well, you know what, I'm, a, I'm really good at changing oil. I wonder if I could change everybody's oil in the church. There's, there's places that do that. You know, I really love... I really love fishing. I wonder if there's a, a way I could get a group of guys to go fishing together and you just build that relationship and see if we're able to talk about Jesus. I mean, these, maybe that is what's on your heart. I, I want us to just get thinking along those lines, okay? That is, that's what we can bake out of that church member job description. So, what do we include in our Christian witness? How is our worship shaping who we are? John, I want to ask you guys to come back up here. We're going to end a little bit differently this morning. I know sometimes I'll give you the question. We'll just have, you know, like 30 seconds to pray about it or write something down. Um, church, our, our leadership team took some time Wednesday. We, we have been really praying about this question, these two questions for us. Praying about what where might God be trying to stir up something within us that we've just not even had the time to say, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? 
okay, Lord, what are you trying to stir up within me? And church, you have walked with us. Many of you have been here for, for the past two and a half years. You've seen the heart that we're about. I mean, it's, it's fairly transparent. You've seen we are a community on mission. We are submitted to Christ, committed to disciple making. You've seen we've defined a disciple as a devoted, developing, deployed follower of Jesus Christ. Right? We have this, this vision of saying, if that's who we're supposed to be, then we want to be a people who learn to love what Jesus loved, who, who live what Jesus lived, and who learn from Jesus himself. So, if that is true, if that is us, just take a second to think about, okay, Lord, where are you stirring something in my heart? So, John, if you guys can lead the song, I don't know, just, just give us a moment to reflect. Just lead us, I mean, you can sing, you cannot sing, just give us some, some reflection time, and then you can lead us to pray.